You're listening to The Hold Fast Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of the Hold Fast Podcast. My name is David Brandau, and for today's episode we'll be starting a study on the Bible itself. As a podcast teaching biblical principles to hold fast to, I felt it was important to establish the Bible's authority and importance in our walks with Christ. I know I have listeners at all different stages in their walk, from beginners to lifelong followers, but have you ever sat back and asked yourself, why? Why is the Bible so important? Why is it important to study it? And ultimately, if you believe what is written in it, how can you trust information that's been passed down for literally thousands of years? When I first thought about starting this podcast, I had to examine what I believed and why I believed it. First and foremost, the main reason why I believe anything about Jesus or the Bible or Christianity in general is because I've had a life-changing experience because of it. As I've said before, I grew up for the most part in the church. I was exposed to Christianity at an early age, and because of those experiences, I have every reason, based on what I've seen in the church and the way I've lived myself, to deny the existence of God and to accept that there is no reason we exist on earth except to please ourselves. But if I put aside the hypocrisy that I've lived, if I put aside the hypocrisy that I saw others live, And if I put aside the truly evil people and the things they did that I witnessed, I can honestly say I have experienced for myself the true and living God who manifested himself to me through one person. And yes, of course, I mean Jesus. But let's face it, Jesus isn't on the earth today. I was shown the love and correction of Jesus through my dad, Troy Brandau. He showed me who God was not by how he preached, not by the way he read the Bible, or anything that he did in the church, but in how he lived and how he loved, not just his friends, not just those who spoke good of him, but how he lived and loved his enemies. And through his love and his guidance, he led me to Christ in a real and personal way. And because I believe in Christ and believe the Bible, it was and is important for me to use the Bible as a tool to understand more of who God is, his purpose and will for my life, a guide to how to live for him 
and ultimately how to please him with the life he gave me. So this is the goal of this series of episodes in this podcast. No matter where you are at in your walk with Christ, you can hold fast to the truth in the Bible. No matter where you are at in your walk with Christ, you can hold fast to the truth in the Bible. You can have confidence in it and rely on what it says about how you are supposed to live and interact with God and those around you. And as we begin, I want to share what I believe about the Bible. And if you or someone you know is struggling with some of the things I'm about to say, don't shut the podcast off. I would encourage you to study on your own and verify and confirm that what I'm about to say should be true for myself, for you, and for all believers. Number one, I believe the Bible is the only book written by God to reveal himself to us. Number two, the Bible is the only authoritative and reliable source by which God reveals the origin of man, his fall, his salvation, and his destiny. Number three, the Bible is the only moral and spiritual standard for all people. And number four, I believe the Bible is true. There are people in churches all over America today, even leaders who do not believe these things about the Bible. They deny its authority. They doubt its authenticity, they mock its inerrancy, and devalue its inspiration. It is without doubt that God used men to write the book. But to deny the deity who authored the words is to deny the God who brought you salvation. And this really goes to a point I made in the last episode. I said there's a problem with many Christians who live as if God is not real. We can clearly see this when we look at the life of someone who claims Jesus as their Lord but deny the reality of the God of the Bible. We can see the impotence of their faith through their lifestyle. We can see their insecurity in who God called them to be. They are confused. They lack conviction. They're uncertain about their role as a believer and ultimately you can see them revert to social and political activism instead of living radically, holy, pure, in undefiled lives. Unlike the first generation of believers who defeated the Roman world, unlike the heroes of the faith who brought about the Reformation, the Great Awakenings, the revivals, the missionary movements, Christians today, and specifically American Christians, lack vision, direction, and action. So many Christians want to blame culture and society for why they can't complete the things that God wants them to complete. So many believers want to shift the blame of their impotence under their leaders for not teaching them and the congregations who hurt them when the blame for you not being the kingdom shaker world changer God has called you to be is you and your decisions. For people who don't know me personally, I'm a big guy. I'm an overweight guy. But I am not overweight because I can't afford healthy food. I am not overweight because I physically can't work out. I am overweight because I love junk food. I love to sleep in and I don't want to endure the pain of working out. 
There is no one to blame for my obesity other than me. I can't blame Burger King for making a burger that I drive to go get, that I pull out my wallet and pay money for, and shove in my own face. And just like I can't blame anybody else for my weight problem, people can't blame their pastors for not teaching them the Bible. There are other pastors who do. You can't blame someone in the church for the reason why you stopped going when there are over 300,000 churches in the United States. And just like the American culture is infatuated with fast food, the American Christian is a glutton for the quick, the cheap, and the easy. The American Christian is surrounded by an abundance of have-it-your-way-right-away Christianity. And while there is an abundance of information literally at the fingertips of millions of American Christians, many of them have grown fat and lazy. In the midst of the abundance of places to gather, of leaders to listen to, of congregations to join and grow with, there is a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. But I'll tell you what, if you put the proper priority on the Bible, if you really believed this book that has been passed down for millennia actually was the only way to get to know who God says he is, and if you truly desire to study it and know it, nobody would be able to stop you. I heard one pastor say, I don't care what's outside these doors. I don't care what challenges you meet when you leave the church. There could be 10,000 demons standing in your way, but none of them can stop you if you truly wanted to get to know God. And that's really the truth of the matter of it. How much do you actually desire to know God? Now, I do believe, I truly believe there are people who know the Bible is true who believe God is real, who say Jesus is their Lord, but they're just lazy in their spiritual growth. At no point in history has it ever been easier to say you're a Christian in America than in the past 200 years. At no point in history has there been a church that is so accommodating to every background and every walk of life but at the same time, when churches and pastors stop preaching the Bible, they turn the focus of Christianity from becoming like Christ to feeding the egos of the people. Christianity is not about you. Being a Christian is not supposed to be about what you get out of it. Being a Christian is supposed to be a dedication of oneself to Christ. And everything I have said so far leads me to this. If you're looking for evidence in the Bible so that you can believe, then you don't have faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen. 
the conviction of the reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Further on in that same chapter in verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please Him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that He rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek Him. Genuine faith is not based on empirical evidence. True faith is based on divine assurance. Evidence can strengthen faith, but it does not create faith. Genuine faith, saving faith, is created through revelation. So many people have an intellectual relationship with God, but God is not data. God is not an inanimate, universal other to be analyzed and researched. He is real. He is living. You will only know the gift of revelation from God when his spirit convinces you that it's true. No amount of evidence is going to convince an unbeliever without first there being revelation. So nothing I'm going to say today is going to convince someone to believe if they don't already have some level of faith in God. And really, that's not the goal of this podcast. My goal is to not go out and get people to say Jesus is Lord without faith. If there are people who are unsaved who listen and find what I'm saying interesting and it leads them down the path to having a revelation about God, awesome. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're growing, but the goal of this podcast is to help believers grow through real, genuine relationship with God. And that relationship begins with God's gift of revelation to you, the individual. This revelation is not philosophical. This revelation of who God is cannot be obtained through reasoning and intellect. It makes no logical sense to surrender yourself to an invisible being unless you have an experience with that being that proves to you that he is real, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and all-understanding, and because he is all those things, he wants a relationship with you. To those of us who believe, we pick up the Bible and read it with the understanding That this book is a means by which God speaks to us. Through this book, he is speaking, and I am listening. This is why it is so important to take what Jesus said when he said, Take heed how you hear, and apply it not only to listening to preaching, but also when we read scripture. How do you approach the Bible when you read it? Are you listening for God to speak and do something with what he revealed to you? Or are you just reading? So as an introduction to this series, I think it's important to discuss five key points when it comes to understanding God's gift of revelation. Number one, who is doing the revealing? Number two, what is the revelation? 
Number three, what is the reason for the revelation? Number four, what is the result of the revelation? And number five, what is the response to the revelation? So first, let's look at who is doing the revealing. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. And for those of you who might be new to studying the Bible, you might go, okay, great, that verse doesn't really tell me anything. But if you look at that verse, it says something about the one who is doing the revealing. It says he speaks. The writer of Hebrews says, God in various ways. He spoke. It is the character of God to speak. And if we look all the way back to Genesis, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. And then God said. So from the very beginning, God spoke. And he continued to speak throughout Scripture, through many different people and narratives. The consistent theme throughout the Bible is God is speaking. When Jesus was born, we have John in his gospel describe him as the Word. John says the Word became flesh. And so Jesus became the living Word of God. So we can answer that first question, that first point, who is doing the revealing? It's someone who is speaking. We could say, great, he's speaking, but who is he? First off, I want to tell you, he's personal. When God reveals himself to you, he is personal. He calls himself I, and he calls us you. When God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, what did he say his name was? Moses says, by what name shall I say I am sent? And God said, I am who I am. God did not just say, I am. He said, I am who I am. God wasn't saying, I exist. He said, I exist as I want to exist. This speaks to God having his own purpose for being. God does not exist to just simply be. He exists to do what he wants to do. He is not mindlessly floating around bound by someone else's will. He is not thrashing about the cosmos without purpose. He is a free, purposeful being who determines his own will, his own reason to be. And through scripture, we see his purpose and will is to have relationship with you. So God, the revealer, the speaker, is personal. He's also moral. In God's desire to have relationship with us, he places a high priority 
on morality. I want you to listen as I read this portion of Exodus chapter 34, where we are shown the morality of God. And as a little background, this chapter is recounting Moses carving the second set of tablets after he destroyed the first set when he saw Israel worshiping the golden calf. So Moses goes back to the mountain to seek forgiveness for the people. And God tells him to carve these tablets. But after Moses does this, God comes to Moses in verse 5. Exodus 34, verse 5 through 7 says, Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses as he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth or faithfulness, keeping mercy and loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting or avenging the iniquity, sin, and guilt of the fathers upon the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That is, calling the children to account for the sins of their fathers. Look at the way God describes himself there. He says of himself, I am compassionate, I am gracious, I am slow to anger, I abound in loving kindness, in truth, in faithfulness, I am merciful and show loving kindness to thousands. I forgive sin, but I will by no means let the guilty go free. How do we make sense of this verse? How can a merciful, loving God also say he will not pardon the guilty? Aren't we all guilty of something? When we come to Christ, aren't we guilty of sin and that's why we have to reach out to him? Aren't we all guilty of sin and that's why we need him as our savior? God says this because he's just. He's moral. In Moses' time, God provided a way for sinful people to receive mercy. God established a way through animal sacrifice for someone to say, God, I've sinned. And because I know, and because I know a just God cannot have relationship with a sinful man like me. Accept this sacrifice, this sin offering, this act of obedience to you as a symbol of my repentance. But for those who reject God's means for repentance, God does not leave them unpunished. He's a moral God. He forgives the sins of those who are truly repentant and punishes those who are not. He is gracious. He is merciful. And he is just. So the revealer, the one who is speaking, is personal and moral. But what else is he? Is there more? Those are the types of questions that are answered and revealed through Scripture. He is personal. He is moral. He is the source of all things. He sustains all things. He is the end of all things. And he is available to you. In Acts chapter 17, in Acts chapter 17, 
Paul goes to the city of Athens. And it says in verse 22, So Paul, standing in the center of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I observe with every turn I make throughout this city that you are very religious and devout in all aspects. Now, as I was going along and carefully looking at your objects of worship, I came to an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you already worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who created the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. This was so that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. That is, in him we actually have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So then, being God's children, we should not think that the divine nature, the deity, is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination or skill of man. Therefore, God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, that is, to change their old way of thinking to regret their past sins, and to seek God's purpose for their lives. Because he has set a day when he will judge the inhabited world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and destined for that task, and he has provided credible proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. What a great sermon by Paul. Notice he didn't try to out-philosophize the Greeks. What he did was took something that they didn't understand, preached to them the cross, and waited for God to move and reveal himself to them. And what's really interesting, if you continue reading in Acts, you'll see that Paul learned something through this encounter in Athens. Paul moved away from trying to convince people. He moved away from trying to convince unbelieving people, people without faith, that Jesus was real. Instead, he moved to where God's gift of revelation was present. But to get back to my point, that God is personal. He is moral, he is the source of all things, he sustains all things, he is the end of all things, and he is available. Look at verse 24. Paul says, The God who created the world and everything in it. 
He is the creator, the source of all things. In verse 26, Paul says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. He is the source of all peoples. In verse 25, Because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. He is the sustainer of all things. In verse 28, Paul says, For in him we live and move and exist. That is, in him we actually have our being. He is the end of all things. And in verse 27, Paul says, This was so that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God is available. This is the God of the Bible, the revealer, the speaker. He's personal, he's moral, he's the source, sustainer, and end of all things, and he's available to you. This is why you, the believer, can look at the Bible and see who he is, because he wants you to know him. He's personal because he wants to fellowship with you. He's moral because he wants to deal righteously with you. Because he's the source Sustenance and end of all creation means your life and destiny is dependent on your relationship with him. And because he's available means he has given you everything you need to fully develop that relationship with him. This is God. He is personal, moral, the source, sustainer, the end and available so that he can be everything you need a God to be. And this is where I'll end this episode. If you're new to the faith, keep following what God is revealing to you. If you were unaware of the importance of the Bible outside of regular Sunday services, I want to tell you, listening Learning and understanding what God says and reveals about himself through scripture is vital to God's desire for relationship with you. I would encourage you to get plugged into a church that preaches the Bible and surround yourself with people whose greatest desire is to love God more than they did yesterday. To love him, to serve him, and to hold fast to him. Next week, we're going to dig into what the revealer has revealed. We know God speaks, but what has he said? Until next week, God bless and hold fast.